-hmm. Had I grown up in a different place in the world, had I grown up in a different religion, in a different faith, uh, my experiences and my journey would have been very, very different. This podcast was sponsored by King James and the Twelve Disciples. Just kidding. joining us. I really appreciate having you on the podcast yet again, um, but a new podcast this time. Thanks for dedicating your time to us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm, I'm really excited to talk about uh, our subject matter today. It's something that I'm passionate about and uh, really enjoy uh, having conversations about uh, faith and perspective and how my faith has evolved and changed over the years. Excellent. And I can't wait to hear it because I'm so curious. I feel like every time I hear a story from you, it's something more interesting that I want to know more about. So this is, this is perfect. If you want, um, I would like to start with just kind of an introduction in terms of who you are and then leading into your experience with religion and theology and growing up in the faith and kind of go from there. Sure. So uh, my name is Scott Lloyd, and currently I'm a professor of communication studies and debate coach at a small uh, private uh, Christian university in the Midwest. And um, I've been teaching communication for over a couple of decades now and coaching debate as well. And that's how you and I have a connection is through um, our debate experiences. I grew up in a small rural uh, Pentecostal church and uh, that Pentecostal church and that Pentecostal experience gave me a lot of uh, good gifts, as well as some uh, baggage. Um, and so I'm still in the process now, uh, some uh, five decades into my life, uh, trying to unpack that and, and figure all of that out. Um, but I would still consider myself a person of faith. I still believe uh, that uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And uh, my personal faith and perspective um, is that I find joy and fulfillment and uh, human flourishing um, in that faith. Now, does that mean that everything is perfect and I've got everything figured out? Certainly not. And I would never condemn someone who makes a different choice than what I have made. Um, but growing up in that Pentecostal church, I received a love for scripture and the Bible and uh, memorized a lot of it and committed a lot of it to memory. Um, but I was taught to take the Bible literally in every place. Um, yeah. Since then, uh, my view of scripture has changed. I now see the Bible less as a instruction manual and more as a, a book of wisdom uh, that gives me perspective for my daily walk. And I believe that it contains wisdom. So the way that I like to say it, it's, it's a very common uh, saying, uh, instead of taking the Bible literally now, um, I no longer take it literally, but I still take it seriously. That's a really good way to put it. I no longer take it literally. I take it seriously. Um, I was talking to my brother the other day and we were talking about how in our mind, the Bible is more of like Aesop's fables. Like it's a bunch of stories that were meant to teach a lesson as opposed to this is literally what happened, right? Like she turned into a pillar of salt when she turned around and looked at the city that he told her, you know, and so, um, I, I'm so glad that you phrased it the way that you did during your introduction when you said that it comes with baggage that's both negative and positive, because that's literally the purpose of this podcast is trying to analyze what positive and negative traits and memories and things that people learned that they're still taking with them, having grown up in the faith and grown up in religion. So that's literally exactly what I was hoping to get from you. you it's like you read my mind. Um, what was, if you can remember, what was the first time that you really felt a connection in a church or to a faith? Do you remember how old you were when you, when it really like hit you the first time? Right. So I remember um, some of my earliest memories, even before uh, attending school. 
So probably as a toddler, you know how you have memories of uh, they're not necessarily concrete, but they're sort of images in your mind and feelings associated that with that. So some of my earliest memories as, as, a, as a very young child uh, was kneeling beside my uh, grandmother, uh, my paternal grandmother, who kept me during the day because both of my parents worked and um, kneeling beside of her and hearing her pray. And because we were Pentecostal, I also remember hearing her speak in other tongues, which is sort of, um, uh, it's, it's not a language, it's more of a sort of a spiritual trance where uh, people receive a lot of uh, emotional fulfillment uh, and sort of a euphoric feeling because of the practice. And I remember endeavoring to mimic her. So she would say words and I would try to repeat what she was saying as a little child. And I also remember that um, I have a lot of images with her uh, having the her, her big King James Bible opened on the table and her reading that. And I remember before I could read or write, taking that Bible and tracing the words and endeavoring to learn how to write and repeat those words uh, going through that. So those are some of my earliest memories. And then beyond that, I remember sitting on uh, a, a church pew with my mom sitting in her lap. I have images of taking her hands and, and clapping them to the hymns that we were singing and uh, going through that. And, and that was some powerful images that sort of branded me early on. So in the church that I grew up in, there was a lot of um, uh, worship. There was a lot of sensory perception. So there were a lot of sounds and there were a lot of emotions associated with worship. So a lot of people grow up in Christian traditions where it's very quiet, uh, where um, the uh, worship is very structured, um, where there is liturgical readings, things of that nature. That wasn't my experience at all. It was a it was a free for all. It was a it was a rock concert, spontaneous <laughs> uh, type of experience with a very small crowd, very loud singing outburst of emotions, uh, crying, weeping, laughing, dancing, leaping, jumping up and down, and even what we called running the aisle. So people would take off running down the middle aisle. They would run around the church, often with their eyes closed, which meant that sometimes there were accidents. Uh, <laughs> I remember some of my earliest memories uh, were watching people run around the church and they would hit the wall and then they would like back <laughs> up and then turn the corner. And then later on, I remember being at a Pentecostal conference and sitting in the balcony and watching people do this, run around the arena floor. And there was a group of ladies uh, standing in a corner worshiping and a guy was making his rounds and when he turned the corner, he slipped and he slid into the back of those women and he knocked them all down like like bowling pins. And me and my <laughs> friend were standing in the balcony and we started giving each other high fives and it was it was great. So those were my experiences early on, very loud, uh, lots of sensory perception and, and all of that. So that was just amazing experiences that sort of, you know, uh, branded themselves into my mind as a yeah. And now do you still consider yourself Pentecostal or have you segued into a different branch or, or sect, I suppose? Sure. So what I've retained from my, my Pentecostal heritage is that um, I do believe um, that God uh, created us as emotional beings. So you have two strands of thought, and really it's a spectrum, but um, just for, for sake of simplicity, um, there are people who are very um, intellectual about their faith and sort of divorce it from their emotions. And they say, well, you know, emotions are a dangerous thing. Uh, you should never be emotional. Um, but I don't believe God created us that way. I believe that it's a head and a heart. So to divorce the head from the heart uh, is a very dangerous thing to do. And likewise, if it's all based in emotion, 
um, then that can be very dangerous as well. So what I've retained from my Pentecostal heritage is this idea that my emotions are important. What I feel is important. Um, what I perceive with my emotions are important, but it's also important to think critically about my faith and to seriously evaluate and to scrutinize the claims that are made about truth. So growing up in my Pentecostal heritage, there wasn't a lot of scrutiny going on. There wasn't a lot of um, reinforcement of critical thinking skills. Uh, in fact, we were told often to not think about it too critically, just right. to, to go with the feeling. The, the uh, faith aspect, where it's absolutely. just to blindly believe. Absolutely. So where I'm at now, I'm, I'm sort of a hybrid. I believe that I've, I, I'm endeavoring. I haven't achieved it perfectly, but I'm endeavoring to marry the head to the heart and to balance them both and to see that both aspects of that are important. So um, right now, my wife and I attend a small Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist congregation, but there are lots of things that um, trouble me about uh, Southern Baptists. Um, and, but that's just where we're at right now and where we've landed. Um, so obviously in Southern Baptist traditions, they would frown upon outbursts of emotion or even expressing emotions of any kind um, in, in, in a prolonged way. Uh, even if you're expressing that about God, they would say, well, you know, you've got to be very careful about those things. So um, what I have retained from my Pentecostal heritage is that I think emotions are important, um, that they are uh, valuable, and when put in the right context, they can be very helpful yes. uh, to understanding what it means to be human. Absolutely. Do you, uh, other than the the inability or the, the rule against showing emotion, do you remember any other aspects of religion that made you pause or kind of question? Do you remember anything like that? Or what was like the first lesson or rule that you heard where you were like, I don't necessarily jive with this. So I'm not going to consider myself this religion anymore. Sure. So, so my small Pentecostal sect that I grew up in uh, had prohibitions um, that were mostly aimed at women. And of course that was a big red flag as I yeah. started critically evaluating where I was at. Um, there were uh, dress codes that were employed. For instance, women were told that they could not wear uh, anything but skirts and dresses. Uh, so pants of any kind, including shorts, uh, were prohibited uh, for women. Women were told that they could not cut their hair at all. They had to let it grow long. Um, and um, depending on where you were at, there were prohibitions against uh, jewelry. Uh, certainly there was, were no earrings or necklaces or anything of that kind. And even depending on, on where you were at in the country, uh, wedding rings uh, were sometimes prohibited. I'm um, surprised by that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there were prohibitions against going to the movies, um, uh, having a television. Um, so um, all forms of what was considered worldly entertainment was prohibited. Um, there was a prohibition, and this is a little funny, against uh, what was known. I mean, it was literally printed in the handbook, um, no mixed bathing, which was their archaic term for swimming. Oh, okay. I was going to say that clicked like 10 seconds later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, you, you could not go swimming. If you did go swimming, uh, it, it, it only had to, 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 to be with people of your gender, and the preference was that you remain fully clothed. Um, so there are literally pictures of Pentecostal women swimming uh, in blue jean skirts and blouses, and um, it was just odd. Yeah, I, that I, is odd. Um, you know, the, the, some of the justifications were that you've got to keep those particular fences up because one thing can lead to another. And so, um, you know, uh, immediately if you start, uh, if you start swimming uh, with uh, boys, with girls, girls with boys, uh, the next stop on that train is sex, of course. And uh, that was the, that was the thinking. 
Um, so obviously there was no dancing, there was no alcohol consumption, uh, there was no smoking of any kind. That's so um, interesting to me that that's the branch that encouraged you to emote and to to show and to feel, but don't dance. Don't 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 show, don't feel in that way. That's that seems so counterproductive. Yeah, and it it was amazing because the only place that we could express feelings of euphoria and emotion was at a a Pentecostal altar service. And in retrospect, um, if you look back at the behavior of people uh, in those particular situations and circumstances, it it was a reflection of what, what a lot of people would have experienced in the normative ways that they grew up. You know, you would go to a rock concert or you would go to a football game and you would yell and scream and you would feel good when when your team scored a touchdown um, but there was n- that that outlet was prohibited for us and so the only way that you could express those feelings were in response to what was known as the spirit of God or the infilling of the Holy Spirit um, and of, of course you you think about that prolonged over years and years and years of that being reinforced, that can that can jack you up in ways. Yeah, yeah. that's like um, the best where, way to put it. That'll jack yeah, where you up. wires wires get crossed, right? Yeah. And, um, it, it was almost you you developed, um, for lack of a better term, it was almost like a fetish was developed for particular uh, experiences, um, and then you know what gets rewarded, what is what gets repeated, and so because you associate those euphoric feelings with those actions, um, they get repeated over and over and over again. Wow. That's so interesting. Now, does that, that lack of emoting and lack of being able to show kind of your feelings, did that carry over into the household as well? Did you find that families were not very emotional or they didn't talk about feelings or they, how did that work? Did that carry over? Do you think? Well, I, only I can I can only speak to my experience, but I, I do know that in our home there was not a lot of expression of feelings or emotion, um, and when there was, it was when those feelings sort of bottled up and then they were unleashed um, in in unhealthy ways. Um, and then um, speaking to others that had similar experiences. A lot of times there was a dichotomy between what happened at church and what happened at home. Um, So, you know, everyone has that sort of um, uh, dysfunctional, um, you know, duplicity in their lives where there is a difference between what they say they believe and how they behave in front of others and then how they behave privately. Right. Um, But we had no um, growing up, we had no way to process that. Uh, No one in my family talked about it, and certainly no one in the church talked about it. Everything was put in uh, spiritual terms, so everything was put in biblical terms, and there was a lot of surface and shallow conversation, but not a lot of depth when it came to um, questioning your faith, exploring uh, complicated um, and often contradictory feelings and emotions and just trying to figure out the world. So we lived in this bubble, and thankfully, my dad, he didn't go to church uh, at all uh, for a a large portion of my life, so he didn't abide by many of the prohibitions. We always had a television. uh, It was always on, so I had the window to the, the real world, so to speak, and, you know, obviously, I noticed very quickly that there was a difference in how most people live their lives and how we lived their life, our lives. And it was always couched in terms that, you know, well, we're, we're sacrificing uh, because this is what God wants us to do. And we're going to be rewarded in the afterlife. Um, but there wasn't a lot of whole, whole lot of connection as to, as to why we did what we did. And, and as, as I became older and, and began to study the Bible for myself and ironically, the tools that, that my church gave me to read, to memorize, and to study scripture were the actual tools that led me away 
from their brand of faith, because I, yes. I began to see that lots of what we're talking about isn't in the Bible. Right. And, yes. And yes. It, it isn't supported by scripture. Right. Yes. If the Bible is the final arbiter of truth, then why are we living this way? Why are we conducting our lives this way when it has no support in the Bible? Right. I, I have always said, and I swear you can hear it in other episodes. I've always said that the people I know who question the most are the people who have actually read the Bible and the people who are the most like entirely devout that I know who live like verbatim as though it is exactly how you should live are the people who haven't actually read the entire Bible. So I think that's very interesting that you read it and you're like, wait a second, none of this is in here. Like none of this is in the handbook. I don't understand. Yeah, um, it, and that was a, that was, you know, that was an epiphany for me. Um, and it was a long process because if you're conditioned to believe and to interpret and to understand uh, life from a particular perspective, when you start moving away from that, it's very difficult to do. There's a lot of dissonance that takes place uh, inwardly in your mind and in your heart. And then obviously all of the connections, uh, the relational connections are having to be navigated. Uh, you, you feel a connection and a loyalty to family and to your church friends and to your lifestyle and um you know, for me, it was a very slow process that probably took over about a decade to complete where, you know, whereas I feel very comfortable talking with you about this today, probably five to seven years ago, I, I would have avoided conversations like this because, um, first of all, I wasn't sure how I felt in a lot of uh, areas, and I, I would want to avoid hurting the feelings of, of loved ones. Um, right. who might see this or hear this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's a huge part of religion and like, and, and specific um, chapters of certain religions is the way that the majority of people kind of end up staying there as opposed to exploring all of their options is because of that, because of that fear of like hurting family's feelings or insinuating that by exploring things or researching things, you're, they think you're insinuating that there's something wrong with the way they live or that they're, you know, unintelligent or something. And, and I feel like that's a huge misconception when I think in, if anything, I think churches should encourage people to do research and to discover why it is they believe what they believe, why it is they feel a certain way. Um, Absolutely. And when it comes to my, my family and loved ones and, and friends that I still count as friends that have chosen to remain in the church that I grew up in, I always want to communicate to them that uh, my intention in sharing my story is not to diminish right. your faith. It's not to diminish your experience. I have no desire or no intention of endeavoring to proselyte you or to convert you to my way of thinking. Right. This is my experience. This is my story. These are, are my feelings. And I, I feel compelled to share my story and experience with others because as, as I continue to grow, there are a lot of people who, who share my feelings right. and share my experiences. And one of the things that all of us look for in our lives is, is validation and yes. community. And in order to, to be a, 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 a human being that's, that's flourishing and, and experiencing life, we all need that. So just in the same way that family and friends have chosen to remain in the church because it serves as a validation to their feelings and their experience and serves as a community for them, I'm still in the process of finding my own. And by telling my story, it helps me find others that share my experiences and feelings and, and helps that community grow. Absolutely. And I think there's within religion, I feel like there's the misconception that if you have questions or if you have doubts or if you're confused, that means that you are atheist or you're agnostic or something like that. When in reality, I think it's very much like anything else. You, uh, you just need to know why it is that you believe something or if you believe something. Kind of like in your instance, you thought, you know, I don't agree with a lot of these rules this doesn't seem right. It's not even in the Bible. I'm going to figure out where I need to go that aligns more with what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. And kind of in that same regard, 
what is it that because I know you're you're a very highly educated individual, you do research, especially through debate, like constantly. What is it about Christianity as opposed to any other religion that's ever existed that makes you feel the most comfortable believing in that as opposed to the, you know, the ancient Roman gods or uh, Hinduism or Taoism or Judaism or anything like that? What makes you so comfortable in Christianity that that you're willing to kind of wear that badge? Sure. So um, as I think about it um, objectively, try to think about it as objectively as I can and you know, with the caveat that that all of us um, cannot rid ourselves of the biases and the subjectivity that we have, I think that's part of it. You know, the 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 my comfort level that I have with Christianity in all transparency is probably because of my uh, uh, formative experiences growing up in a Christian sect. Mm-hmm. Had I grown up in a different place in the world, had I grown up in a different religion, in a different faith. Uh, my experiences and my journey would have been very, very different. Um, so the fact that, you know, there, there's an old saying that uh, geography is destiny. The fact that I, I was born and raised in rural Northeast Arkansas um, and happened to be born into a family um, that was of the Pentecostal tradition uh, had a lot to do with uh, forming my beliefs early on. But as I've grown and as I have explored other options, and certainly within the Christian faith, looked at a a multiplicity of denominations and thoughts and traditions. And then also beyond that, you know, part of formal education is exploring world religions and looking uh, into those faith traditions. And and what I can say um, now that probably I, I would have been uncomfortable saying before is that when you look at every uh, religious tradition from around the world. I think it is is wise to point out that every tradition has its points of wisdom and its points where there are helpful ways of looking at the world and looking at one another and attempting to understand the concept of God. Mm-hmm. And even among atheists and agnostics, um, they have helpful things to say and helpful words to contribute to the conversation. Uh, You just did a series on your podcast where you were uh, rebroadcasting some of the most um, uh, thoughtful atheists that, you know, have ever lived and and have, have dealt with these difficult questions. And I found many of the things that they had to say inspiring and helpful and, and thought provoking. So, Everyone lives by a philosophy, even if you say, I have no philosophy, even if you say that I believe in no God, um, that is a philosophy, that is a belief system that is, uh, at some level, governing your actions and your choices and your thoughts. Yeah. So the reason that I've come to settle on Christianity is because, um, quite frankly, of Jesus, I look at the, the life the death. And I believe that there is uh, substantial evidence uh, for a supernatural resurrection. Now, can I say with certainty that um, Jesus died and three days later he rose again? I can't say that with 100% certainty because obviously I wasn't there. But I believe that there is uh, substantial and credible evidence that something profound happened around this man named Jesus. Uh, For example, um, we have the Christian faith with us to this day. There have been lots and lots of opportunities for it to be disproved, for it to be diminished. and, And even though I think its influence and the influence of all religion in the world is is diminishing, Um, That's not to say that at some point in in history, in the future, it may experience a resurgence. So looking back in the totality of history, there have been moments where Christianity has experienced moments of great influence, and there have been moments where its influence has been diminished. And I think the pendulum has swung to a point where we're seeing it diminished right now. Mm -hmm. But who's to say that in the future, it it won't make a a resurgence. But my point is, is that looking back, Um, I believe that there were enough opportunities for the 
primal followers of Jesus, had they been perpetuating a lie and had they been perpetuating a hoax specifically around the resurrection of Jesus, that there were enough opportunities for it to be exposed, that there were enough opportunities for it to be debunked uh, early on. To this point in history, we don't have evidence of uh, enough evidence either way, I think, to say this did not happen. I happen to believe that because there was such a profound change in the early followers of Jesus, for instance, up until the point that Jesus was purported to rise again, all of, all of those original followers worshipped uh, in the Jewish faith, and their day of worship was Saturday. Their entire culture was built around that, and then suddenly it changed from Saturday to Sunday. Those primal original followers were in a position to know whether or not Jesus had indeed rose again from the dead, but they were perpetuating a hoax. And if they were indeed perpetuating a hoax, all of them were willing to die uh, horrid deaths for something they were in a position to know was a lie. Right. And none of them recanted, or at least we don't have any reports of them recanting. Right. Um, so to me, what, what that communicates at the very least is they believed in what they were preaching. They believed in what they were saying. They believed that Jesus literally rose from the dead. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that he literally did and that there was evidence of it. But what I'm saying is that they believed it so wholeheartedly that they were willing to die for that belief. Now, right. many people will will die for something they believe to be true, but it, it stretches the bounds of credulity, at least in my mind, that people are willing to die for something they are in a position to know is a lie. Right. And right. we don't have any evidence of that happening. So right. looking back at Christianity, to me, there's sufficient evidence to suggest that something happened. And when I look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, I'm not talking about everything that surrounds him right. with the religion that grew up known as Christianity. But when I like look the, at the red text is what right. You're yeah. About. When I look at what Jesus said and how he lived his life, he was a profound person. And um, that has, I believe that has implications for my life. And so that's sort of the short answer as to why I've settled on Christianity. Absolutely. Now in your entirely honest opinion, like straight up be as real as you, as you feel. Do you think that people who are atheist and agnostic go to hell after they die? Or do you believe in something different? Cause I know, for example, Catholicism has purgatory. There's, I feel like each religion has its own version of kind of what happens to us after we die. And do you believe that an unsaved um, atheist or agnostic person would go to hell? Well, first of all, yeah, when we talk about the concept of hell, um, there are a lot of uh, strands of Christianity that would reject even the concept of hell mm -hmm. that would that would suggest that there is a literal eternal uh, lake of fire um, where people who do not believe in Christianity are sent uh, to be punished for all of eternity. Um, if you think about that from a logical perspective, it doesn't make any sense um, that, um, you know, something that is done by a finite uh, person in a finite time would then be punished for that particular sin for all of eternity, an infinite amount of time. Even in our justice system, as imperfect as it is, we understand that there's this concept that the punishment should fit the crime. Right. So this idea that God's justice would somehow uh, be less, would, would be held to less of a standard than our justice um, doesn't, doesn't make sense. So um, I'm not sure. Um, when Jesus was talking about hell, I think there's a lot of evidence that he was talking in uh, hyperbolic language, that he was using metaphors. Um, that he was speaking in terms that his audience would have understood uh, in that day. And even in the Jewish tradition that Jesus was a part of, 
there were lots of uh, different understandings about what happens to someone after um, they die. Um, to say that, you know, if someone chooses not to believe, are they going to be punished forever and ever? Um, I'm not comfortable with saying that. Um, I don't believe that. I, I think you would be hard pressed to demonstrate that from, from the Bible, mm -hmm. uh, even from a, a Christian tradition that is reasonable. Um, so uh, to answer your question, no. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting because when I spoke to atheists and agnostics from this podcast and outside of this podcast, um, something that I feel like everybody kind of had in common was even people who aren't religious think that the Ten Commandments are pretty reasonable advice. You know, don't kill anybody, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, don't be gluttonous. Um, and also something that a lot of people seem to have in common, both religious and non-religious, is this idea that these wonderful, amazing people that they know would be sent to burn forever because they didn't accept a faith that was the correct faith. And I think that idea, this idea, as we get older and we start to meet like really smart, really talented, really cool people that we know are not religious, this idea that they would be subjected to eternal torture because they didn't believe something that in their opinion, they just didn't see enough evidence to suggest was true. Um, and I know that a lot of people who consider themselves atheist and agnostic are still spiritual. I was talking to somebody the other day. He's like, I do believe that there is something. There is a supposed, you know, God being that is there for us, that is watching over us. This person said that they just didn't believe it was verbatim the Bible. They just didn't agree with the Bible. And so I think it's very interesting that you say that because I feel like that's a kind of a widely agreed upon stance. And then you have religions like Judaism, who I don't even think hell exists in theirs. And I don't believe that heaven exists either in, in certain sects of Judaism. Um, so it's very uh, and interesting. I just, yeah. And I just want to clarify, you know, that this just, you know, this isn't just my opinion. Um, right. You can take my opinion for what it's worth. Um, but I would encourage everyone to, to do their own research. Right. Um, even, even what Christians have believed historically and throughout time has evolved and changed. Um, if you look at what early Christians believed, uh, and then what the medieval church believed, uh, and then what, what, what people embraced at the early part of the 20th century uh, versus now believed, that is continually changing. And there's lots of perspectives and there's lots of feelings on, on the afterlife and what that looks like. Uh, the Bible does have a lot to say, but mm -hmm. again, it comes down to interpretation. It comes down to understanding. And if you insist on a literal interpretation of scripture, and, and this is where I point out, you know, if, if you're going to insist on a literal interpretation of scripture, then you got to be consistent with that throughout the Bible. What ends up happening is people cherry pick what they're, right. they're yes. literally embracing and what they're, what they're saying, well, that's symbolic and you've got to understand it like this. Right. But then what you end up doing is you end up saying my perspective and the people that share my perspective on the Bible exclusively are the only people that's got it right. And everybody else has got it wrong. That is a tremendously arrogant position. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and I grew up in a tradition where we did that. And we yes. said, it doesn't matter what 2000 years of church history has said, because we received this particular revelation. And so we can't listen to anybody else. We just got to believe what we feel is right in our heart, which is okay. But then you're being entirely subjective and you can't objectively yes. apply that to the rest of humanity. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think um, they mentioned this a little bit in those episodes of, that I posted with Sam Harris and, and those gentlemen. Um, I think it says a lot about someone who is very religious when they can admit that they don't know. You know, I feel like the, the religious people that I trust the most are the people that you ask a question and they're like, that's a great question. I don't know. Kind of like I asked you a moment ago what you think about hell. And you were like, I'm not really sure. Here's kind of the idea that I'm going with, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is fact and that, that this is 100% how it is. And I think that is an idea that modern Christianity and modern religions in general really need to embrace because I feel like they would 
um, you know, Christianity, so much of what we believe is proselytizing and, and bringing people into the fold. And I think they would find that they would have a much greater success bringing people in and keeping them if they were able to say, I, I don't know, actually, that's a great question. I'm going to look into that and then I'm going to get back to you with what perhaps I think, as opposed to the people that you were mentioned earlier, who swear up and down that they live their life exactly by the Bible. And all you have to do is ask them, so you don't wear mixed fabrics ever. And they're yeah. like, no, that was a metaphor. Okay, but gays shouldn't get married. That's not a metaphor because I'm pretty sure the word gay doesn't show up in the Bible ever. It's just very interesting where you're not supposed to eat pork. Well, they just said that back then because people died from you know meat poisoning. It's like, okay, you're not supposed to wear mixed fabrics, so you can't wear a bear's jersey on Sunday. No, they just said that because you know back then gays should be allowed to get married. No, you know, that that's a sin or like you should be able to sleep with people before you're married. No, that's awful. It's just very interesting what people, like you said, cherry pick sometimes. And I feel like a lot of the loudest voices in Christianity are actually the outliers and that most Christians aren't actually like that. You know, the loudest ones that you hear are the ones that always make the news, you know, for saying things and doing things that might be considered racist or, you know, far, far right. When in reality, I think Christians as a whole are very similar to what you're describing, where it's like, I don't have all the answers. I don't necessarily believe that every single thing in the Bible is verbatim true. I do have questions, you know, and and I really appreciated that you said the reason that you are claiming Christianity is because of the circumstances under which you were born and raised. And I think that's, I think that's a fantastic example of somebody admitting, like, I don't have all the answers. This is probably why I think this way. But at the end of the day, I sleep best believing this and, and living this way. Um, and I would add, I would just add to that, um, you know, this idea of certainty. Um, anyone that claims um, ideas, especially in the philosophical realm or the religious realm, if we're talking about questions of origin, uh, meaning, morality, destiny, the afterlife, things of that nature. Anyone who claims certainty, um, I'm very wary of those kinds of claims. And I would add, even someone who has embraces a, a, an atheist or an agnostic worldview that is making those claims with a great deal of certainty. Um, and, and you do see instances of that as well. Um, certainly no atheist that I've ever met or interacted with would, would make claims of certainty, but I do know that they are out there because yeah, I've they read and, they're out there somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. And so, you know, anyone, anyone religious or irreligious that makes claims, uh, about things that we're not in a position to know about right now, um, you know, with certainty, uh, you, you have to, you have to be wary of those kinds of claims. Um, absolutely look at the evidence, absolutely evaluate different perspectives and different ideas. Look at your own life. Look at what is making a difference in your life and what isn't. And because everybody's going to live by a, a, a philosophy. I think where we get into danger is when we embrace fundamentalisms. And what I mean by that yes. is when you, when you attach this is my belief, or this is my cultural perspective, or this is my way of looking at politics or uh, global geopolitical positions or morality. And I'm going to attach God endorsing what I believe to the world. And so right. when I play that God card, how do you respond to that? If somebody <laughs> says, well, you know, I'm not just speaking for myself. This is what God endorses right. uh, what, what, what I'm saying. Right. I, I right. come back from that. Yeah. That reminds me so much of when we're kids and we're playing at somebody else's house and they're like, well, my house, my rules, you know, and then you have to play the game according to how they want. Um, I always tell people I don't have any issue with any religion until they start trying to pass legislation or rules that tell me I can't live how I believe. And that's the only time that I ever have a, an issue with organized religion or religious people. And I feel like a lot of Christians and a lot of religious people also believe that way. They're like, do what you want, live how you want, but don't then try to pass rules that make me also live how you want, because that's not 
your business, right? And like, and right. yeah, and to be fair, and to be fair, all legislation, all government is a reflection of somebody's morality. But right. but the best government, you know, historically speaking, and I think this can be said objectively, is one that takes into consideration the greatest good for the greatest number of people and makes an effort to protect those that have divergent views or perspectives. And I think historically, the United States has has done a good job of that. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Are there all kinds of evils that have been perpetuated by our system? Yes. But what I'm saying is, is our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, uh, the fact that the First Amendment guarantees us freedom of religion, which also infers that you can choose to not practice any religion at all. And it sets up a, 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 a government and a way of life that says, you know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And as long as we don't infringe on other people's um, ideas or behaviors, things of that nature, we can all get along and move forward. Right. Right. I tried to explain it to somebody once um, who was talking about how they were basically kind of spark notes. What they had to say was they were okay with laws being changed as long as they they followed the lines of what this person believed. They were like, well, I don't mind if church and state are combined as long as it's basically what they believe because they were the because they thought that was like the most right way to live. And I remember telling them, I was like, I hate black licorice. I don't like it. I think it's gross. If it disappeared tomorrow, I would not be upset. At no point in my life, though, have I ever been like, I hate black licorice so much. I don't want you to have it either. I don't want you to have it. I don't want you to have it. Nobody's allowed to have black licorice. Trust me, I'm doing what's best for you by taking this opportunity away. And what I would rather have is people hear that I don't like black licorice. I don't want anybody to have black licorice. They try it. They don't like it. And then they come join me in my, you know, congregation. They're like, oh, you're right. I wish I'd listened to you earlier. I feel like that's the the best way to kind of get people to understand what you're believing is not to take away things that you don't think they should have, but instead to allow them to experience those things and then come to you and be like, why was that so awful or confusing? Or why did I hate that so much? Right. And just to extend your analogy, that doesn't mean um, that you can't advocate that you shouldn't like black licorice yeah. and present your evidence and present your opinions and yep. your feelings. That's the wonderful thing about yep. freedom. Yeah. Make the shirt, happens. make the bumper sticker, make Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. And, and, and to bring this back to our conversation about Christianity, um, if people want to enter into a conversation with me about faith, I encourage people do your own research. Look yes. at the truth claims of Christianity. Look at the life of Jesus. Evaluate it. And you don't have to decide today. Anybody that puts pressure on you to decide today, well, they're, they're, they're not perpetuating something that is being truly authentic right. and transparent. Right. They're, they're, you can decide tomorrow. You can decide next year. Enjoy the journey. But what I'm saying is don't dismiss Jesus or don't dismiss Christianity out of hand without first looking at what it claims to be, not what others have said about it, not how others project it into the world, right. but look at the primal Christian claims, look at the life of Jesus. And then if you choose not to, by all means, go in peace. But let me advocate for my perspective and let's talk about it. Right. Like you wouldn't write a negative review for a business you've never been to because somebody told you that it was a bad business, right? You wouldn't do that. So why would you have that attitude towards other people's beliefs and, and their faiths? Absolutely. Has there Because this uh, podcast is kind of geared towards people who are a little bit in between, they can't really decide, do they want to remain religious? Do they want to explore anti or like outside of religious ideas? Has there ever been a time in your life where you did truly question your faith or have you always been pretty strong in the idea that you consider yourself a Christian? I question my faith all the time, um, but not to the point of abandoning my faith. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah, there's sense. never there's never been a moment in my life where I've gone, you know what, I'm just going to embrace atheism or I'm going to embrace agnosticism. 
Um, I believe that there is a God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the, the image of God to the world. This Jesus is how we understand God. It doesn't mean that everybody has to understand God the way that I do, but I'm talking exclusively for me. Um, but everything else about my faith, I'm going to question. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to talk about it. And that pendulum may swing back and forth. There may be moments where I feel very passionate about a certain perspective of my faith. And then in a few years, that might change. Where I'm at today, and you know, I still consider myself a, a Christian, and, and I honestly, I, I, I consider myself a, a Christian leader, um, uh, a pastor, uh, someone that, that has a desire and giftings and callings to lead others and to help others better understand Christianity. And so what I say is um, Christianity is less about imposing prohibitions on how you live your life, especially in private. And it's more about how you live your life in the community of humanity. How do you help others? If your Christianity is just about what you experience on Sunday morning, and it's just about uh, the prohibitions, the things that you can't do, then what good is your Christianity doing anybody else? Right. If it secures you a place in heaven, first of all, I would say, uh, how is it that you're that that a finite creature is able to earn their way into a place of eternal bliss? To me, that that sets up uh, this this idea that it's a contest, and somehow we're all trying to to out religious one another. That that it's makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. So. My Christianity and, and how I endeavor to live other uh, to lead others to live out their Christianity is to look at the injustices that surround us. And you don't have to be a Christian to do this. Obviously, uh, atheists care very much about the world and their fellow human beings. And we all, to a certain extent, want the world to be a better place, not only for ourselves, but for our children, our grandchildren. So as a Christian, if you really believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again, what are those implications for your life and how you're treating the person that you meet next to you that believes differently than you do? How are you advocating for black lives that matter and that have been disproportionately uh, uh, relegated to a marginalized status in our world? How do you respond to people who have different ideas about sexuality and orientation and gender and how they live that out. And here's the thing, just because you entertain an idea and seek to understand an idea doesn't mean that you have to embrace it. And it doesn't mean that you have to condemn it either. You can love someone, you can help someone, you can fully embrace who they express themselves to be, and it has no impact on how you live your life. You can be a loving person and love others as well and give them the freedom and the space to be who they are or as they see themselves at the moment. Because truth be told, we're all evolving. We're all changing. I'm not the, I'm not the man that I was five minutes ago. I'm not the man that I was five years ago. I'm certainly not the man that I was 25 years ago. I won't be the same man in 10 years. So give humanity space. And if your Christianity is real, if you truly believe Jesus lived and died and rose again, as I do, then that has implications not only for your life, but more importantly, for everybody's life around you. So how are you treating them? How are you loving them? How are you advocating, using your voice, your influence, your power to make the world a better place for everyone and not just those that believe like you? Yes. Yes. I don't know if you could hear Tori was sitting over here going, mm hmm, mm hmm, like with everything you said. Um, wonderful. Like, I don't even I don't even have like notes on that. Like, I agree with everything you just said. Um, so kind of in closing, what would you say is a time that you were that you felt like this is God, a thing that happened or a thought that you had or something in your life where you said 
this to me personally is proof that there is God, this thing, this time, this event, this person. Yeah. Um, I think there are everyday moments that, uh, I see and I hear and I feel the presence of God. And again, it's, it's not, um, it's not a literal, uh, voice that I'm hearing. Um, if God ever does decide to speak to me, uh, in that way, I, I, I hope that I have the sense not to tell anyone, um, <laughs> <laughs> and people that, you know, make those claims, I, I, don't, I don't know why you would ever tell anyone that God spoke to you vocally. Yeah, um, yeah. so um, last weekend, I had the privilege of holding my granddaughter. Uh, she's nine months old and um, feeling her flesh up against mine and um, uh, holding her in my arms and smiling and um opening a book and seeing her tiny hands turn those pages and watching her. Um, I think I had a, had a very sense that, wow, God is in this moment. And um, in the same way, when I have the opportunities to express how I feel towards those that I love, and does it mean that all my relationships are perfect? No, like everybody else's, I have, um, I have baggage. I have, um, difficulties. I have my own uh, set of harms that I've imposed through my own selfishness. And, and, and I have to learn and grow through all of that. But in those relationships, when they're good, and even when they're not good, I think God is revealing himself to me uh, in a way that is profound. When I read a book, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be the Bible, and something in my mind happens a light bulb moment it goes off and it's like wow that is a profound thought that is a profound way of looking at the world um when i hear someone read a piece of poetry that they've written or uh perform a, a piece of music or i hear my wife sing or my children sing um, those are moments that that i hear and i feel the presence of god in a very profound and very real way and in the moments when I'm at my lowest point and when I'm having great difficulty with the world around me and trying to figure out my place in it, um, in those private moments where I speak to God, I open my mouth and I say, God, this doesn't make any sense. I don't like this. Or God, I'm angry at you right now because if, 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 if it's true what I believe about you, that, that you are all powerful and all knowing, I, I don't appreciate you allowing this to happen in my life. And um, in those moments, when I'm able to express those feelings, and a lot of times they're accompanied by tears and by groanings and by just that, that wretched feeling that you feel when you're really, really emotional um, those are moments where afterwards, and, and you can chalk it up and maybe it is, I don't know, maybe it's just an emotional release that I've had. Uh, but in those moments, in the aftermath, when I feel a sense of peace and when I feel a sense of release, I think that's God. Awesome. Awesome. I, I knew this was going to be a good interview, but I feel like this was a great interview. This was perfect. I, I swear anybody listening to this, I did not send him the questions ahead of time. We did not talk about this at all, but that's awesome. Scott, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs with us. I really think you hit some points today that will give people a lot to think about, a lot to kind of mull over in their head. And I think a lot of what you said today will really help people kind of decide what maybe not like what concrete decision they want to make, but it'll really help them feel like they have the right and the ability to kind of explore and research and decide for themselves what it is that they believe. And I think it'll make people feel very comfortable questioning things. And I think that's so important. So thank you so much for your time, for your ideas. Do you have any questions or final thoughts? I don't think so. That was just really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Thank and you, Sydney. It's my pleasure.
honestly, anytime I enjoy our conversations. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I feel a series coming. So get ready for it. I may hit you up because I feel a series coming if that's okay. Good times. I'd love to anytime, Sydney. And